Welcome to Legacy Sport Live, stories of the people who are shaping the conversation at the intersection of sport, business and purpose. I'm Neil Duffy, co-author of our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Today I'm talking to Benita Fitzgerald-Mosley, Olympic gold medalist in the 100-meter hurdles and former CEO of Laureus Sport for Good Foundation USA. Benita shares with us her commitment to supporting and advancing gender equity, both in sport and in the workplace, and highlights the incredible work being done by Laureus to change the lives of underserved kids across America through sport. So really excited today to have Benita Fitzgerald-Mosley with us. Benita is uh, not only an Olympic gold medalist uh, and an eight-time national champion, but she's also one of those people who's made the transition to the business sector from being a professional athlete and done it with um, great dignity and aplomb. Uh, Benita, welcome to uh, Legacy Sport. Thank you, Neil. So um, I'm always amazed when I meet you and I look think back on the career that you've had and all the experiences that you must have had over, over, your year, over the years of, uh, of being in sport and in business. I mean, if you look back to when you were an Olympic athlete, uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you, first of all, just to get started was, what, what are the life lessons that you learned as an Olympic athlete that you've been able to carry forward into, um, into the work that you now do? So I think there's, um, you know, quite a few, but one that has probably been at the forefront in the past several years is, is really resilience. And in, in track and field anyway, coaches used to always say, um, it's kind of two thoughts. Like one was, you're only as good as your next race kind of thing. Um, but, but what they kind of said to you is, forget what just happened right? You just move forward. There's always going to be another race. And really, you are as good as you, you know, you might run a personal best or a world record or make the Olympic team or win a gold medal. I mean, you're, you're always looking forward. And you don't wallow in what's happened in the past or what happened yesterday or what happened at practice today. And, and if you do have, uh, you know, uh, some kind of adversity, then you have to get past it, pick yourself up and, and move on. My daughter uh, is running track and she plays volleyball and she had a regional championships yesterday and she was so excited to go. And she was a sophomore in high school. Her freshman track season was a bust because of injury plus uh, just juggling school and um, and volleyball at the same time. And I don't think we managed it all that well. So this year we're managing a whole lot better. She qualified for the regionals in, in three events um, and was, was ready to go in the 55, the 300, and the two, four by two relay. And she uh, ran the 55, got top 10 there. And then she was second leg on the four by 200 meter relay. Long story short, uh, she, the person running into her and, and Maya messed up the, re, the relay pass and caused the team not only to not set the school record that they were expecting to set, um, but not to advance to state, not to win the regionals, 
Um, and, you know, she just felt extremely bad about it. And, you know, obviously in tears, the coach was consoling her. I showed her the film of the handoff and she realized it was a two-way street. Yes, she could have done some things differently, but so could have her teammate. And by the time it came around to run the 300, you know, she put her all into it and ran her personal best time. And I, I see that not only, you know, as an athlete in an Olympic sport, but I think athletes in sport in general teaches these life lessons that you can't let adversity get you down and keep you down. Uh, you're going to cry. You're going to have hard times, but you got to pick yourself up and take that disappointment and anger and, and apply it to making yourself better uh, and do better. And that's what I love about Laureus is that I get to help kids all over the country uh, experience the thrill of victory and unfortunately sometimes the agony of defeat, but, but to learn and apply the lessons uh, accordingly. Mm -hmm. And, and that, I think that's a really, um, thanks for sharing that. I think that's a really important point to make because I think sometimes uh, people default when they think about sport and it, its positive uh, role in society, they sometimes think that it's enough or it's only just about the physical uh, benefits that come from participating in some kind of physical activity, but it's about so much more than that, isn't it? And that's just, just what you verbalize now. Absolutely. So um, those lessons, no doubt, have, have uh, put you in, in, in good stead as you've made the transition from the track to the boardroom. I mean, you've, um, you know, you started off uh, working, staying in professional, in sport with the, working with the, the, the uh, US uh, Olympic Committee, and then you've been in mainstream business, and then now you're at Laureus. Um, how, how did you find that transition from, uh, from being an Olympic athlete to being um, someone sitting in a boardroom having to make different types of decisions? It was pretty difficult. I, I have to say, I really felt like a fish out of water when I worked for Special Olympics International in D.C., my first job in the, in the sports industry. And I was on the kind of management side uh, from the very beginning. I was a director of regional director for 13 states. And, um, and then I moved over to sports marketing at Special Olympics. and been on to the Olympic Committee in Atlanta doing sports marketing. And in, in all of that, I had to learn. I didn't get to do internships when I was in college or any time after that. I, I went straight from being an athlete to sitting in uh, boardrooms with uh, leaders, community leaders and, you know, you know, Kennedys and Shrivers and <laughs> Coca-Colas and, uh, you know, huge multinational companies in a very high profile way. And so I think it was the confidence that if I can, you know, run 12.84 seconds, in, you know, in front of 100,000 people and millions around the world on a given day that, you know, the biggest day in my life when the pressure's on and it's do or die, then I can pretty much do anything um, that I set my mind to. And not to mean that I won't ever fail. It just means that I have to come at it with the confidence that I can learn what I need to learn. I can, uh, I, I'm not intimidated by 
who, you know, by people who have, you know, who are influential or wealthy or well-known um, or, you know, more powerful than I or, you know, or higher ranked than I, that I needed to, you know, use the same techniques that I calm myself down at the start line and just focus on my 10 hurdles and the finish line. And I just did that every step of the way. Uh, just keep, I always say, I just keep my head down and do the work. And, you know, it's just one step at a time, one day at a time. And before you know it, you know, you're being promoted and, and really have a handle on what it is you're doing. But at the very beginning, those first few years, I remember going to meetings sometimes, I realized, oh, I didn't even prepare an agenda or, you know, just basic things that you do in business that I didn't know to do, much less do. Mm-hmm. And a way to you know, running a $30 million marketing program in Atlanta just, you know, three or four years later. Yeah. And so, I mean, as part of that, I think, I guess, one of the other challenges you faced is the, you know, is the role of women in business and women in society generally. And I, I know that this whole, the whole issue around gender equity, gender balance, and women's sports, something that's very close to your heart. I have um, been a beneficiary of the pioneers in women's sports uh, direct beneficiary of you know the likes of Billie Jean King and Donna Devrona and Anita DeFrance and uh, more. I certainly was inspired by the Wilma Rudolphs of the world uh, when I was uh, competing as a track athlete, and I really knew that they had paved the way by advocating for Title IX so that I could get a college scholarship in the late '70s, early '80s, that I could compete as a professional because they were amateurs that I could have an engineering degree because they, you know, pushed uh, on the education side that, you know, opened all these doors for me. And so it was, you know, apparent to me early on that I needed to give back and, and, you know, pay it forward so that other women could benefit as well. So I've been involved with Women's Sports Foundation for, many, many years on the board as past president, past chair of the board, and um, and really have been cognizant of promoting and supporting and advancing women in all fields. Uh, the cable industry, leading women in cable telecommunications and overseeing diversity and inclusion at the U.S. Olympic Committee, uh, and on and on. So it's been near and dear to my heart and as an African-American female, uh, it, I've benefited, but I've also had my own struggles that I hope others behind me don't have to have. Mm-hmm. And, and Benita, for the benefit of people listening that don't know what Title IX is, can you maybe just, just outline a bit more about it? Because and, 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 um, I think it's an interesting model that you know, other countries could consider also adopting. So back in 72, the U.S. government passed a a law that said that prohibited uh, discrimination on the basis of sex um, with any institution that received federal funding, uh, education institution that received federal funding. So that would be public schools in the United States and most colleges and universities, um, even private ones in many cases, receive some government funding at some level for research or 
you know, whatever else. So they, um, that really was the catalyst for more and more girls, women participating in sport at uh, an interscholastic level and intercollegiate level in particular. And then of course, uh, by virtue of that, a, a growth in both youth sport and women uh, competing professionally uh, in the likes of the WNBA and the WTA. So we all, uh, women of a certain generation, really attribute our success to Title IX and being Title IX babies and, and the direct beneficiaries of that law that allowed me to get a full scholarship uh, to Tennessee uh, in track and field. But portions of the law also not only specific, specified sport and physical activity, but it was uh, equal access to law school and engineering school and business school. So uh, no discrimination of any kind on the basis of sex as it relates to education. Um, but sport was the piece of that that probably uh, you know, gets the most notoriety. Right. And it's, I mean, it's, we've still got a long way to go in terms of gender balance in sport and in society as a whole, but it's, it's been a remarkable, a remarkable success, hasn't it? It has, it really has. And we, um, I think when it was passed one in 27 high school girls played sport and now it's one in 2.5. So it's had a market increase. And at that same time, if you look at Olympic sport, I think it was 23% of the athletes in the games I competed in in Los Angeles were female athletes. And we're almost at the 50-50 mark for Tokyo. 49.6% are, are women, will be women in Tokyo. Yeah, quite amazing. And I mean, you, you, and I, you and I have spoken about this before, but it's, you know, again, as important as all this work is, it feels at the moment as if um, you know things might be edging towards being out of balance. Um, you know, I guess the risk of focusing on one group is that you potentially ignore or um, uh, disregard other groups. And so that you know, in the world we live in today, um, you know, boys, young boys are facing as many challenges as, as young girls are, maybe for different reasons or in different ways. But I mean, right. What are, your, what are your views on all of that? How, how do we achieve that balance? You know, how do we, how do we not lose sight or, of, of re- retaining that balance while still uh, progressing this important need to create equity? Um, and, and, and yeah. I, I think that we want to continue to uh, bridge the inequities relative to women in the boardroom, women. Um, CEOs, uh, how women matriculate through uh, from management to upper management, senior management in companies, uh, um, how obviously girls access to, to sport and physical activity, and at the same time not do anything to deter or reduce the number of boys um, and men and their ability to continue living a, you know, a a full life and being a mom of both a boy and a girl, uh, one sophomore in college, my son and my daughter sophomore in high school, uh, I see the challenges that boys are facing around their identity and and just uh, their place in society today, how they navigate the social 
uh, and interpersonal kind of relationships with, with girls and women. And, um, and we just need to be cognizant that particularly those uh, boys of color um, and boys in underserved communities, but, but all boys, and I live in a, a relatively uh, affluent area of Northern Virginia, and you know, boys are friends of mine, are you know, well-educated parents, you know, doing well, and their boys are struggling just as much as many of the girls. So I think we just need to keep our eye on them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that there aren't still inequities that need to be uh, fixed. I'm I'm the number one cheerleader for that, but I think we we can't do that to the detriment of of boys. And not sure how uh, what that means, except that I think just paying attention and continuing to pro- promote them and support them, yeah, you know, in their yeah. lives and hopes and dreams. And 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 I guess that's you know that's really uh, one of the great things that sport can do. I mean, sport has. I, th- I think the point is that sport for sport for good can be sport can be good as good for boys as it can be for girls, and we need to mm-hmm. you know, we need to progress opportunities or maintain opportunities for for both groups so that they can both benefit out of that. So so if we just change gear a little bit and talk about sport for good and its value proposition. Um, I'd be really interested to hear, you know, what, what is your definition of sport for good and how does it differ from some of the other forms of sport intervention that are out there right now? Um, you know, what makes sport for good special and, and, and what, what do you think its value proposition is to society? So, I, you know, we often call sport, you know, a, a solution that's hiding in plain sight that, you know, we, we thankfully have an inf- infrastructure here in the United States, but, you know, our school system in particular, but Parks and Rec, and, and we have lots of facilities and lots of um, programs and that, you know, access to sport. Um, unfortunately, there are still plenty of boys and girls, both, that uh, don't have the same access and don't have the same opportunity to benefit. And so we see sport, uh, certainly from a, from a physical standpoint, kids having the opportunity to play and, and uh, get the physical benefits. But, but there's so many more benefits that accrue to kids, um, educational, et cetera, that we include all of that under this idea of sport for good, that it's sport for social change not just sport for sport's sake. It's sport that's intentionally used to develop the life skills in kids that are going to help them be successful beyond the playing field. It is um, having high-quality, well-trained coaches who are trained in delivering content to these kids once they've been hooked on the sport uh, and delivering programs that will enhance their their educational outcomes, their career outcomes, their certainly not only the physical health, but their mental health and wellness, and to create a sense of social cohesion within uh, the organization, but also within the community at large. Mm-hmm. So, so it goes beyond just providing a kid with access to a field or a ball. Um, it's about using... And, and I, I'm the last person to say there's anything wrong with providing kid access to a field and a ball that if, if we only did that, that yeah. that would still be 
uh, a great thing, but there's more to it and there's a greater need, particularly in underserved communities, for children to receive um, the attention and support of caring, well-trained adults um, that help protect them and shield them from life's uh, trauma yeah. uh, that they're experiencing and to help them uh, steer clear of some of the impediments to their success that uh, exists on a daily basis in their lives. So, so what does that look like in a practical sense, Benny? So if you just talk us through, so, so I'm, a, I'm a kid who lives in a underserved community and um, I hear about this program where I can go and play basketball and, and you know, be with, with other kids and, 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 and participate in programs that are going to give me a better chance in life. What am I going to experience going through one of those programs? Generally speaking, um, you, you know, it's a, it's a safe place for this child to, to go. It's a consistent presence of, you know, teammates and uh, adults who care about their, their safety and well-being. It's a fun uh, and environment, you know, playing that particular sport or doing that particular physical activity. And they're usually challenged to not only uh, improve on the playing field, but certain expectations and requirements of them uh, while they're playing and off the playing field as well, relative to their grades, their, their attitude, their behavior, et cetera. And all of that is, um, you know, has to be, again, done intentionally by and through uh, a well thought out program but also um, led by someone who has the proper training and is providing the, the proper environment for those children. So it's a very intentional inter- intervention that focuses on the social and emotional development of those kids using sport as a platform to get them engaged and re- retain their interest in, w- in what's, been, what's been done with them. Right, and, I, and what we find is that when Laureus has done, has been uh, working within communities on the ground with these various organizations, we're sport agnostic, um, and we're trying to help organizations build capacity so they can serve more children uh, and, and serve them better, mm-hmm. is that by creating this ecosystem of of organizations and youth and, and sport for good leaders in a particular community and, and creating uh, a cross-sector group of folks who are all focused on not only getting better themselves, learning from each other, but improving the community around them in the process. Mm-hmm. And that's when magic happens. Mm-hmm. That's when you're able to really not only impact the kids in the particular program that you're in, but improve those kids continuing their education, um, becoming uh, well-employed, ends up transforming the community in which they live. And those coaches oftentimes come from those communities themselves, uh, may have come through those very programs themselves, 
And so there's this um, positive cycle of youth development into you know, caring adults who stay in the community and are employed and are giving back to the community and creating a stronger or positive environment for the for kids in the future. So that's a really important point. So the sport sport for good's not only about doing good things for, for individuals or, or the kids themselves, but it in turn leads to being to good outcomes for the society and the community in which they they, they, they live and operate. Yep. So um, not everybody knows what Laureus is. Um, you're chief executive of Laureus here in the USA. Um, tell us a little bit about Laureus's history and how it came about and, and uh, the, work, the work that it does. Yes, Laureus uh, Sport for Good Foundation is an international organization. Laureus USA is one of a network of foundations serving uh, youth in 40 different countries, uh, over 160 programs are being funded by Laureus and we are impacting a million kids a year. Uh, it was conceived in about a little over 20 years ago. We'll be celebrating our 20th anniversary of the Laureus World Sports Awards this coming week in February 2020. And it was inspired by the 1995 World Rugby Cup where Nelson Mandela, the newly elected president of South Africa, used the sport of rugby and that championship to help uh, his country bridge the racial divide between whites and browns and, and black people in the country. And they all came together to cheer for their national team and they won their very first uh, Rugby World Cup, uh, repeated again in, in 2019, actually. And it inspired a country, he inspired a country, that the, their national team inspired a country, and that inspired uh, Johan Rupert, the founder of a company called Rishma, that's a holding company for several luxury brands to create the Laureus World Sports Awards to really um, to celebrate the power of sport. Um, and those in, in, at the event decided, you know what, we want to do this every day. We want to support uh, an organization and create and develop an organization that uses sport for social change around the world. And so we have 250 amazing athletes that support our cause. Again, we're in 40 countries, uh, delivering programs. And it's, uh, it's a worldwide movement that we uh, are helping to grow here in the United States. And in terms of the, the work in the U.S., Benita, it's uh, focused on two or three different areas? We are focused um, primarily uh, as a grant maker um, and providing financial resources to organizations around the country and uh, specifically in New Orleans, Atlanta, Chicago, in Chicago, uh, New York, which we call our Sport for Good Cities and where we're doing the collective impact work that I talked about, where it's community development and youth development. But we see ourselves as a leader in this area of sport-based youth development or uh, by extension sport for good and wanting to uh, create you know, uh, a, a movement here in the United States that says that sport can be used uh, for social good and social change here in the United States. Mm -hmm. 
And how do you fund your activity? We are um, the beneficiary of, uh, you know, the, the generosity of several, mostly corporations and some, some national foundations. Uh, our founding partners were Richemont and Daimler, giving half a million dollars each 20 years ago to the seed money for the foundation. And they continue to be worldwide uh, global partners and also here in the United States through Richemont North America and Mercedes-Benz USA. Comic Relief USA is a, is a funder, National Recreation Foundation, and, and many uh, other great brands uh, have come together with us and partnered with us to, to deliver the, the services and the funding to these deserving organizations and by extension the youth they serve. So, so if there are any organizations that are looking to invest in Sport for Good initiatives, um, would it be fair to say that Laureus would be a, a good partner for them? I believe Laureus is a great partner. We're, we certainly have a, a strong and stellar reputation in the field, but as importantly, by investing in us, um, you're investing in experts in the field, people who uh, are really good at identifying organizations that are doing great work on the ground that are having the desired impact who are um, at a place in their evolution where they're ready to scale and grow and and we can help them do that and serve many many more kids okay so we're into the final stretch now and um, what I'd like to do is just change gears a little bit again and kind of broaden our focus out to a kind of a macro level um, when you look at what's happening in the world where, you know, there's this growing expectation amongst young people, particularly that organizations stand for something more than just profits um, and corporations are starting to respond. Um, wh what do you see happening in the world of sport? I mean, wh where do you think the, uh, the opportunities are for sport as a whole within that environment? Do you think there's anything that we could be doing better as a sector? Anything that we need to be aware about or any opportunities we need to be excited about? Pretty broad question, but I guess, you know, if we were to wrap it up in, in sort of one sentence, where, where, do you, where do you see sport at today and, and where do you see the uh, opportunities and threats going forward? Um, I, you know, I have been in this sector really just about four years now as CEO of Laureus. I've been in the sports world for a long time, but this idea of sports philanthropy probably uh, for a much shorter period of time. And I think there's a lot going on, um, and it's it's extremely uh, huh, um, what's the word? Uh, it's just a lot of people with athletes and teams and leagues and companies, and everybody has their own initiatives and their own way of doing things and everybody wants to attach their brand to some unique thing. And we all mean well, and we all are you know, trying to uh, help kids and communities, I believe, uh, particularly those who, um, who need, need help the most. But I think that there's an opportunity for us to band together in a more strategic way uh, to have even greater impact and reach and serve even more people uh, and really go from uh, doing a bunch of activities 
to really having a huge impact. And as laureates, I think we'd like to be the catalyst that helps that happen. Okay, well, that's a great, great spot to end on. Benita, thanks for your time. It's always uh, inspiring to talk to you. And uh, I still need to find out how to, to run 100 meters in 12 point, what is it, 12 point, how many seconds? <laughs> 100 meter hurdles. Yeah, even better. So, Run, you have to run the length. Sorry, you have to you have to run the length of a football field over ten hurdles in under thirteen seconds. Sure, sounds like hard work to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I could do one hurdle in twelve seconds, let alone ten. Yeah. Good, good. Well, thank you, Benita, and uh, great talking to you. And uh, keep up the great work that you and your colleagues are doing at Glorious. And thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Legacy Sport Live, the companion podcast series to our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Please visit our website at www.legacysport.org to order your copy of the book and join our growing community of sports business professionals committed to doing good while doing well through sport.